We've talked in the past about social determinants of health. This is the idea that our health is impacted by things other than our own behaviors, such as how much money we make, where we live, our education level. And some of those things can't be changed in our lives. Does that mean we give up? No, it means that we got to make the best with what we have. And today our guest is going to help us better understand some of these issues men face and how she helps them overcome them. This is Who Cares About Men's Health with information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of men's health. My name is Scott Singpill. I bring the BS. You know our MD to my BS, Dr. Troy Madsen. That's right, Scott. Excited to be here. And he's a Who Cares About Men's Health convert, producer Mitch. Hey there. And joining us, Monica. She's a physician associate in the emergency room. She's a listener. She may have told some of her patients to check out the show. We need to find out about that for sure. And she's also another one of Troy's sisters. How are you doing, Monica? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm happy to add to the, the little sister bunch here. Right, Troy, is this your last sister, or are we going to get a few more Madsen episodes out of the out of this out of this deal? Well, we're going to have to drop from my brothers next if we're going to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> and delve into the yeah. sister laws, <laughs> Monica. So you're a physician associate, which is all, also known as a physician assistant in the emergency room, uh, and where you live, you see a huge kind of range of situations that come into the emergency room. And what I'm talking about, again, are these social determinants of health, whether it's economic status or where this person lives. And it's been a kind of a passion of yours. So explain, first of all, what it is that you kind of see. So see a little bit of everything, um, you know, especially as one of the advanced practice providers, we probably see 65 to 70% of the patients that come through the emergency department. Um, a lot of them are, you know, kind of basic things like lacerations, pneumonia, you know, basic abdominal pain. Um, really common is, you know, altercations, um, you know, broken bones. But I think one of the big things is, you know, someone will come in, you know, maybe after an altercation, like I said, and I'm sewing up their face and we just kind of start talking a little bit about, you know, hey, when you came in, your vital signs showed that you had really high blood pressure. Have you ever taken a look at this? And, you know, this is often like a man in his 40s. And he's like, oh, no, I never go to the doctor. And there's almost this like point of pride. Like, why yeah. would I go to the doctor to talk about my blood pressure? Uh-huh. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so it's not until they have to come in with, you know, a broken orbital bone and a laceration that, that we actually have a chance to sit down and talk about some preventative health. And I always find that a great opportunity to kind of really dig into their real story, especially in the community where I live and work. Um, yeah, tell us about that community a little bit. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. I It's in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I live and work in an area called Richmond. Um, I think there was a, a famous movie, actually, Coach Carter, they came out a while back, um, kind of about a basketball team in, in Richmond. Um, and in this area, the, the statements made that a, a man is 80% more likely to be incarcerated than graduate from high school Wow! in this community. Yeah. Wow. So it kind of hit me. I'm like, wow, I'm entering a community where I can make a difference and I can see people and I can see them for who they are, um, you know, at the core. And I can it can really make a difference in their life. And so I, I just became very passionate about, about justice and realizing that justice spans everything and especially healthcare. Yeah. So I've, I've had some really incredible opportunities to, to sit down with patients one-on-one and, you know, many patients who are currently in housed, um, experiencing homelessness, um, living below the poverty line, um, to actually talk about, you know, 
preventative help than like, Hey, right. we can, you can actually make your life better just by making these little tiny changes. And, um, it, it always feels like a real honor and privilege to, to be a part of a, such a diverse community. So, so um, if I'm understanding correctly, um, a lot of these patients come in, whether it's masculinity issues, oh, men don't go to the doctor, but they have to now because they have some reason that they had to go to the emergency room or because they can't afford I mean, like, what, what, what do you think is the main barrier that people aren't getting this preventative care beforehand and they're seeing you for the first time where then you're able to actually have this conversation? Is it economic? Is it, is it uh, um, masculinity? Is it something else? Yeah, I'd say it's, I'd say it's a combination of all the above. Um, you know, we do have some community clinics um, in California. We have an insurance called Medi-Cal, which I actually think is a, is a very good insurance. Um, and that does allow patients access to primary care. However, um, our primary care providers are so overloaded. They're typically three to six months out in getting an appointment. And then, you know, well, you know, I'll have social workers make that appointment for patients, you know, regarding their, like I said, hypertension or elevated blood sugar, or whatever it might be. Um, and then they miss the appointment. And when, when I talk to them, like, hey, we got this appointment scheduled for you. Why didn't you go? And so often it's, you know, it's a number of factors that will come into play. Um, I'd say more often than not, it's like, hey, I had this job come up and I just, I had to work. Like, right. I had to be there. I finally got this job. Um, something else, which I, maybe it's a little bit dismal to talk about, but um, is incarceration, you know, and especially amongst the patients that I see. And when we're talking about like continuity of healthcare, it's a really tough thing is that, you know, if someone's incarcerated, suddenly there, there's this huge disruption in, in healthcare. And I'll often see patients before, or after they were incarcerated. And there's just, there's really no communication, you know, as to like, what, what happened with your blood pressure meds? What happened with, you know, your diabetes meds? What, you know, what, 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 you know, this is missing. And, and I think, you know, kind of looking at the whole justice component, I mean, that's a, that's a really issue. I think they say like one in four black men will be incarcerated at some point in their life and one in six Hispanic men, and it's one in 23 Caucasian men. And so my practice is primarily a very ethnically diverse, um, community that I treat. And so I always find this a little bit of a challenge too. Like how do we, how do we work through this and provide the best care we possibly can when there's so much disparity? When you first talk to these individuals, have they ever really talked about primary care before? Have, is this a discussion they've had with a physician at all? Or are you really the first? You know, occasionally, and what we'll often do um, is, you know, search back through chart notes and you'll see, you know, other doctors or APPs who have seen um, the same patient and they've gone through this, this, um, very similar thing of like trying to set up primary care for them. And I find in a lot of cases, we become the primary care. And when asked like, Hey, why, you know, why, once again, like, why didn't you make this appointment? It's like, well, the only time I could get here is 10 PM on a Saturday, you know? So, and I need a refill on my blood pressure medication or, you know, so this becomes, um, you know, the, Emergency department is overutilized, and I'm sure Troy can attest to this. You know, and I, I think for a long time I used to get really frustrated with it. Like, why are you overutilized? Like, why are you misusing or abusing the emergency department? But now I think more and more I've shifted my perspective on that and really seen it as maybe a privilege, like an opportunity to teach and to yeah. talk and to talk about preventative measures um, and to talk about this podcast, you know, and say, hey, actually, this is free. You've got your mobile phone here. Let's download it. Um, and here's some fun episodes you can start listening to. And you know, just put your health first. And this is, you know, when everything else is falling apart around us, then one thing we can really do is take our, our health care into 
into our hands and make the most of it. Yeah. So I think that that's actually been, I see it more as an opportunity now versus an annoyance. Yeah. And it, it is like Monica said, it is frustrating, quite honestly, like to have people come in for primary care visits, but yeah, like she said, sometimes you realize you just, they don't have other options and you do get to play a role that, um, that they just don't have in their lives. So you do have that opportunity, but, um, as I hear you talk though, Monica, and I think about a lot of the patients I've seen, and then I think about some of our episodes and about talking, like, for example, talking about sleep and, you know, me talking about getting a nice comfy sleep mask and oh, Mitch talking right. about like getting yeah. a nice, a nice silk pillowcase. <laughs> we sound so elitist. Like right? that's, that's the hard thing. Like I think about a lot of the patients I've seen as well. And I'm, I'm curious where you even start these discussions, yeah. you know, Where when you're talking start? about, yeah, like sleep, let's talk about your sleep. Like in the, yeah. in, in some cases they're just saying, wow, I wish I had, you know, I wish I had a place to sleep. That was a That's regular exactly place I could go to, to sleep, you know, things like that. A place or, I mean, sometimes people have multiple yeah. jobs. They've got to work shift yeah. work in addition to day work where you happen to live might be loud and noisy and lots of light, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. I know it's like, yeah, yeah where, where do you even start that discussion? I'm curious how, how you've brought these things up or, or are you just starting like with, hey, let's get you in to see a primary care provider. Is that is that where you start or do you start diet? Do you start talk, talking about other things, mental health? How have you introduced yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, all of these are really great questions. Um, I think the mental health component's a big one. It's something I've been thinking a lot about since I read this book on PTSD, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you, any of you have read that. Sure have. Yeah. <laughs> so they talk about um, often like Vietnam vets and so on who will go to the emergency department complaining of chest pain or some physical ailment when really, um, really they're there for mental health. And the only time that many of these men are given real attention is when they're there complaining about a physical ailment. So... I think as a healthcare provider in the emergency department, I've tried to go beyond the presentation. So I always think it's, it's, it's such a great experience to, and like such a privilege to like see these patients who are coming in with one physical complaint, but really there's so much more behind it. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the health issues um, in general, you know, mental health, uh, we've discussed that a little bit, but you can throw that in there. Like if I had to say, what are the, what are some of the, like the top three, the top five health issues that are most prevalent among men who, you know, fall victim to some sort of social determinant of health, whether that's housing instability, inadequate insurance, they don't have enough income to really, you know, pay for the healthcare system or other, other issues. What do you see? Yeah. So probably the top three are elevated blood pressure. Um, so hypertension. The second one would be diabetes, um, which has gone unrecognized for a very long time. And, you know, we auto often automatically check a blood sugar, and that's the first time that someone realizes they have diabetes. And the third one that really affects my the community I work with is asthma. Asthma is really oh. an issue. Well, what do you think causes all – what's the root of this, like the social determinant? I know it's hard to put a finger on. Do you think it's just – the diet, the air quality, the lack of access to healthcare in, in their younger years. Do you think it's modeling like adults in their lives and their health habits? Like what is it that, that really leads to this? Yeah. I mean, it's probably a combination of um, many of those things. Um, I think access to, to healthy food or even just the knowledge of like, you know, 
eating low fat, you know, low salt greens and, you know, just eating healthy, right? Like that's just something that I don't think a lot of people really think about. Um, or have ever been taught really. I mean, yeah. I mean, it takes, yeah. I mean, and what's and that kind of comes into the modeling component. So what are your parents eating? Um, what's available in your environment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's been times I've been in cities, you know, uh, traveling for whatever reason. And if you're in the downtown area, it's hard to find healthy food. It's really hard. And even walking through the supermarkets and like the most accessible foods are those that are very processed or fried. And I mean, it's so much cheaper to go to McDonald's than it is to, you know, um, a vegan restaurant, let's say. It's so cheap. I mean, French fries and burgers are so, so cheap. And Although- not as much anymore, but it's still taken. Yeah. I mean, relative to healthy food, right? So like, how can we increase accessibility and even desirability of healthy food, right? I think yeah. that's a lot of it too. It's just, it's almost like two and two aren't put together. Like it's, it's, there's this, a huge disconnect. I was going to say too, I, it's, as you talk about this too, like I think about med school, I went to Johns Hopkins and it's, it's in, it's in East Baltimore in one of the more dangerous neighborhoods in the country, just in terms of violence there. And, uh, and it's just the disparity there is remarkable. you got this yeah. world-famous institution. And I remember my first day there, I walk across the street and it's burned out, boarded up row houses. But the two restaurants in the neighborhood were a place called Mama Mia's, which was uh, just like a greasy fast food place. And then Popeye's, which is greasy chicken. Yeah. That was it. You know, the mm-hmm. Safeway, the grocery store, we had to get on a bus to go down there to Safeway. And, um, yeah, it's like they call them these food deserts and and you just have places where there's just not a lot of healthy food available. Um, yeah. Even if you wanted to go to a grocery store and buy it, there just aren't great it options. Just isn't unfortunately. There. Yeah. yeah. What's causing the asthma? Is it the environment or what what's what's causing that? Yeah, I think a lot of that is environmental. I think a lot of it does start when um children are young and there's a lot of smoking in households. Mm, um sure. Yeah. And so, you know, but yeah, and then of course just being inner city. Um, and there's also, you know, just, there's known like higher rates of asthma amongst, um, um, African-American patients, um, and yeah, and of inner city patients. And, you know, when I was working in Oakland, we actually started a full initiative at one of the hospitals where I was working that just focused on um, asthma and African-American patients, and which was actually a really cool preventative program we had. So when someone would come in um, with first di- diagnosis of asthma, we'd get them in, the, in this program right away um, and just talk about like getting on the preventative medicines and rescue medicines and how to reduce risks with asthma, you know, specifically being around um, smoke. Yeah. And then air quality. Air quality is huge, right? Yeah. And I'm, I know you experienced a bit of that in Salt Lake too, but yeah. Troy and Monica, I have a question for you. So then after, and we'll start with Monica and maybe Troy, you can jump in mm-hmm. since you also have worked in the emergency department. After you see somebody and you start having some of these initial health conversations, if you want to help them get primary care and they don't have the finances or the time or the insurance to do it, what are some suggestions you give to them? Uh, you know, to, to try to get primary care after they leave, you know, your care? I mean, so we, I mean, our social work team is really big, um, both in Richmond and Oakland, and they're actually really good at following up with their patients. Um, so we'll actually go to the extent of like making the appointment for our patients. Um, and in fact, our social workers will often check in later to see if they actually made that appointment. Um, so that's, 
that's probably the the best. If there's someone I'm really worried about, um, I'll actually oftentimes circle back with the primary care doctor um, later on um, to make sure that they made it in. And, you know, um, so I think that's probably probably the best way. Um, Just a quick phone call. I'm really big on follow-up phone calls with my patients. Um, So like I said, if they, like I said, most of them do actually have phones. I'm able to give them a call and make sure they got in and just kind of check in. And so that's, that's probably the way it's just like follow-up. And I think in emergency department, that's often lost, but it's something I've, um, Probably learned from from our dad, who's a pediatrician. He's a lot of follow up calls with so him. Yeah. Do you just make the argument to them that you know I know that this is going to cost you some money and and time's really really precious to you, but it's really a good investment. I mean, is that the argument you make, or are there are there also programs that can help you know pay for that? Or yeah, for sure. I mean, in California, yeah, I I'm not sure. I can't speak to other states, but I know like with our Medi-Cal program, um. Pretty much anyone that needs healthcare can get on on Medi-Cal um, if they fall within, you know, a certain income um, or below a certain income. So, um, yeah, so I Medi-Cal is fantastic for patients living in San Francisco. They have access to UCSF. Um, our patients have access to um, specialty care um, in an area called Martinez or at um, Highland Hospital that's pretty well known in Alameda County. Um, so, yeah, there's there's actually really good access there. And, and I think a lot of patients don't realize that they have that. And they'll come to the emergency department um, because that's the only only choice they have initially. But our social workers are really good about getting patients, you know, connected with Medi-Cal and, and then establishing that follow-up care. So Right. And then, like you said, just even following up, it sounds like uh, many of these individuals are just like, wow, somebody cares. Yeah. So when you yeah, follow like a up, quick that, phone yeah. call goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. How about so, you, Troy? Oh. Troy? Is there anything here in Utah that you're aware of? Like, how would you handle this situation? Yeah, I think like Monica said, I've utilized our social workers a lot. And what you really find is kind of like she said too, even in Utah, uh, most people are going to qualify for some kind of insurance. Uh, they're going to qualify for Medicaid. And a lot of people just don't even know they qualify or they've never applied or looked into it. Uh, it hasn't been a priority. They just like, again, come to the ER for their care. And in the ER, you treat everyone regardless of their insurance status. So mm-hmm. that's always an option. And then I think also, um, I think some people, when they get on the healthcare exchange, on uh, the um, healthcare.gov site, I think they're surprised at just how inexpensive some of these plans can be, just depending on their income level. Um, so those have been the big things. Uh, and again, for us, it's been more social workers in the ER who are incredibly valuable uh, for helping people, number one, set up follow-up appointments, and then number two, apply for these things and know what their options are. And for somebody that doesn't, you know, hasn't gone to the ER, can, can you contact a, one of these social workers without going to the ER? Like, how would you get in that way? Does that make sense? Yeah, you really can't, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to go to the ER to contact them. But mm-hmm. most hospitals have financial counselors. So you could always contact a hospital and say, I would like to see a primary care provider, but I don't have health insurance. Can you set up an appointment for me? And and then they would probably say, yeah, and let's get you in touch with a financial counselor who can explore your health insurance options with you. So that's okay. that, that's often what happens as well. Mitch, do you have anything? You've been very quiet. As someone who has been underinsured, as someone who has actually used the Medi-Cal system when I was working in Ventura, where I was fully employed and still was not making enough money to be insured, um, I've I spent almost a decade being completely being unable to get any sort of 
like routine medical care. And I mean, it's not just me. I mean, there was a study recently done by the Commonwealth Fund that has um, two out of five Americans right now are underinsured, period. Yeah. Um, you see a lot more in the South. You actually see a whole lot within the um, white population and people under the age of 35. Um, and that was that was my experience. My primary interaction with health was an Instacare if I was bleeding during work hours and, you know, an ER if something had gotten beyond terrible that I just couldn't wait till morning. And it's a terrible place to be. Um, Even with some of the systems that are out there for people, there's a lot of gaps. I ended up being one of those people where either I had to quit the job or quit the uh, education program that I was in at the time um, to get myself some benefits or I just was not, I didn't meet those uh, poverty standards. I didn't meet those financial standards. And it becomes really hard to prioritize anything but work and where your rent is coming from and survival. Survival. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And mental health goes out the window and everything. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how, you know, I don't have an answer for it. I'm just, you know, a, a guy on a podcast, but. I cannot tell you how much it has meant in the last two, three years to get insurance, mm-hmm. to be able to take an active role in my health um, and not have it be such a Herculean task or to make it so difficult to be able to get a primary care provider, et cetera. And I sometimes wonder if that is one of the things that also plays in when you look at some of these different populations. I mean, underhomed for sure, but we're talking two out of five Americans, period, right, are under uninsured or underinsured. And, you know, so it's not just this worst case scenario, but if you're working two jobs, if you're doing shift stuff, et cetera, mm-hmm. it becomes really easy, especially as men, to just be like, ah, you know, I got to keep working, got to keep surviving. Like, you know, ah, who cares about their health, right? Because I don't, I can't. Like, I literally cannot. And I was always terrified, even sitting in waiting rooms with my head bleeding during one particular concussion I had, um, that I would be stuck with a bill I could not afford. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, I, I don't, I don't know what to do about it, but it is important to at least educate and understand, right? When we say, oh, hey, there's an obesity epidemic in this country, we immediately assume that it's because everyone's eating a whole bunch of fast food. We don't look at the systemic things like, is there even healthy food around? Can the person afford healthy food, et cetera? And so I just, I would really urge people to educate themselves about some of these issues in their own communities. Um, Because even like, God bless Medi-Cal, because I had quite a few medical emergencies happen in my short stint in California. but without it, I don't know what I would have done. So, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I mean, it kind of, I don't I read this book, um, Just Mercy. And I don't know if Brian Stevenson, it's a really great read. But something he said is um, like the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but, but justice. Um, and I think that's something I think a lot about. And as you were talking, Mitch, it just made me really think about like, where's the justice of not being able to just like access decent yeah. healthcare, decent food? And, you know, how do we, how do we find that? And it's not, you said, it's not just wealth. It's, I mean, it just goes so far beyond that. So 
Yeah. Like, how can we deliver like high quality healthcare and resource poor settings? And, um, and it's a question I've asked myself for 14 years now, as I've, as I've been in this career. Um, and I try to do it on an, on an individual basis, but how do we like extend this on like a more, um, yeah. reach more people, right. <laughs> in general. Yeah. So that's a great question for even your, like the three of you in this podcast. And like, you're trying to reach as many people as you can, as many men as you can through this and like making their health a priority, but how do we reach even more? Yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's a great point, Mitch. And I think, you know, Monica, obviously you're talking about like major health disparities and, mm-hmm. and significant issues there. But then there's also, again, the group like Mitch where, um, and, and I think a lot of us have been in that situation at one yeah. point or another, like, you know, like when I was in residency, I had really crappy health insurance. <laughs> like, yeah. it was just like, isn't that ironic? Then it was, it was ironic. And I thought about that. Like, I'm like, I'm a physician. Number one, I was making minimum wage as a physician, which is the crazy thing about being a medical resident. Um, but I'm like, I'm a physician and there are so many people I'm seeing in the ER who have so much better access to healthcare than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, so there, there is that also that component of it as well. And I think it's easy for us to talk when we have great health insurance, you know, you work for the university of Utah, you're going to have great health insurance. Uh, it's easy for us to talk about, Hey, go see a sleep expert, go, you know, go, go get a sleep right. study. Oh, yeah. but, but for so many people, that's completely inaccessible. Like it's, it is not at all feasible just because again, that's an interesting statistic, just the underinsured component and, and how that factors into just our, yeah. our lack of access to to what we might need for our healthcare. And yeah, it's a challenge. Like, you know, you see it in Salt Lake city, like I'm not in Oakland, but, um, I care in the ER, I've cared for a large, um, population of unhoused patients and immigrants and, um, people who are, are suffering from the same thing, maybe not to the degree that Monica's seeing in Oakland and Richmond, but you see it everywhere. And, and, uh, Certainly, you know, we have, we have all those same issues in Salt Lake and I'm, I'm sure every medium and large and even rural communities are facing that as well. So it's a, it's a challenge everywhere to some degree or another. As we uh, begin to wrap this conversation up, um, I, I wish that we could wave the magic wand and, and, and make healthcare fair and just for everybody. As Monica said, you know, it's a justice issue. But unfortunately, uh, as the rest of the world or uh, us even try to work to make it more equitable, uh, we have to live in the environment we have to live in. So what kind of final thought would you have for somebody who uh, is struggling to afford health care that doesn't have the time to get health care or any of these issues we discussed? What could they take away from this to try to make things a little bit better, to make the best out of the situation that one has? Like think about Mitch 10 years ago, for example, yeah. as an instance, like what, what would you recommend? Yeah. in that situation, I mean, look at the small things, right? So if they're like, we can get basic labs. I think, um, for instance, like when you're going to the emergency department, if you know, like just understand like, Hey, is my kidney function normal? Is my liver function normal? Like, it'd be great if, if someone could just get those basic labs. Um, and there's always, there always is a way to like, at least get started on like whatever medication you may need to be started on. Um, and that trying to stay compliant if you can. Um, and I think, gosh, it's hard, right? I mean, just thinking yeah. about like, little things that we can do. Um, let's say we take healthcare, like actual medicine completely out of it. Like what little things can I do to like be a little healthier every day? Um, drink more water. Hopefully, hopefully most people have, at least in the United States, some access to clean water. Um, 
yeah, just thinking a little bit more about the food, like incorporating a few more vegetables or whatever, it, whatever it might be. I mean, it's, it's tough though. And I think like hearing Mitch's story, I think I was, I was really struck that like, Hey, this is, this is the majority of the patients. I see like, there's a lot of patients who are, you know, below the poverty line, but then there's a huge chunk of patients who are just kind of this in-between state. And a lot of them come in and like, they're scared about, about the bill that they're going to incur from the ER. And and I, ah, it pains me. Or just even the doctor. Like if you go into a primary, Mitch has mentioned on the show, you know, anytime he went into primary care, he's like, what are they going to find and how much is it going to cost me? And then, yeah. you know, am I going to even be able to do anything about it then? Yeah. yeah. I think also just on an own individual basis, like what can we do? Like once we've reached this point where we have enough capacity to think about others, like what little sacrifice can we give? Can we have just a little bit more pity, like a little bit more empathy? Um, can we be, you know, more like, can we all be justice fighters? Like if we have anything to give, can we all just uh, be an ally for the underinsured, for the unhoused and for those that just don't feel seen? Um, so I think that that's, I think that's a lot of where it comes from too, is like so many people think that like problems can be fixed without any cost. Um to themselves, but like actually stepping up as individuals to look out for those in need. And, um, and I, yeah, I really appreciated Mitch's, Mitch's story and, you know, him coming from this place of like, now he's in this position where he sees like healthcare as a privilege, which I think is kind of fascinating yeah. when it really should be a right. And like, can we all just fight a little bit more for this to be a right for everyone? So. Troy, do you have any final thoughts on this issue? Uh, I, I love what Monica said about just having more empathy. And I think maybe for a lot of people listening, I think for myself, obviously I'm, I'm not facing these kind of disparities and I feel incredibly fortunate and grateful for that. Um, I've taken care of many, many people who do face those disparities. And there have been times in my career where I roll my eyes and I see the person come in for a refill on their blood pressure medication or some primary care thing. I'm like, seriously, why are you using the ER for this? But and then I realize I need to have more empathy for the situation they're in and the challenges they're dealing with. And I think on a larger scale, not just as a physician, but just as someone who sees, again, the obesity statistics or the issues we see with heart disease and diabetes of just recognizing the challenges these individuals are facing and having empathy for them and, uh, you know, and hopefully in the process, looking for solutions and looking for ways that maybe we can help to to address this larger disparity issue. A couple of things I pulled away, some of the themes that kind of come up on this podcast. Is there just something you can do, just a, a little something to, you know, make things a little bit better? Like Monica said, you know, can you incorporate a package of frozen vegetables into your grocery list every week? Can you maybe be active if you're not active, if you're not doing a physical labor job, can you be active for an extra five, 10 minutes a day? Um, and then there are programs out there and sometimes it takes a lot of work to find them and you have to do some digging, but you know, see what might be available in your area. Isn't there a number, Mitch, here in Salt Lake City? And I would imagine that's in other states too, like 211 that will connect you with resources, something like that. I'm going to have to look that up. Mitch, what's your, do you have any takeaways? One of the small things that everyone can do, even if you are in a place where you do have access to health care, that you are able to be healthy um, and it's an easy thing for you to do is to kind of educate yourself about some of the issues in your community and what programs are available in your community. What, and it is two one one, by the way, that will help it you is get, um, yep. If you dial two one one, they can help connect you with community resources. Okay. Yeah. So just as someone who might have access, you know, take the time to educate yourself about some of the problems and 
finding places where you can support, whether it means signing a petition or writing your senator or whatever that is. But just recognize that some of the health problems that we have in this country with your neighbors, with your friends, et cetera, might not be because of their bad choices, but kind of because of the some of the social determinants of health that are impacting them. Yeah, I really like that. If you have any thoughts or you found, have found yourself in a situation like we've discussed um, and you are able to figure something out, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out, hello at thescoperadio.com. That's hello at thescoperadio.com. Thank you for listening and thank you for caring about men's health.